0: to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello everyone and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. If you're living anywhere that gets below freezing on a consistent basis, you probably fall into one of two categories of people. The first are the grumblers that winter is coming and you have to bundle up and start shoveling the driveway again or you are jacked that the lakes are starting to freeze and you can start ice fishing soon. This segment is for the second category of people, or the people that are tired of not having anything to do during the winter months and are looking for something to do. Now is the time to take inventory and organize that ice gear and prepare yourself for the season ahead. And with me today is an individual that's probably more excited than anyone for the upcoming season, and that's Ben Olson from our Grand Forks Shields location. How are you doing today, Ben? Doing great, Mike. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. So can you tell us a little
1: bit about how you got started with Shields and uh, in what you do? Uh, yeah, it was probably, man, it's got to be close to nine, ten years ago now. Uh, I was a part-timer um, back in our old store when I went to college out here at the University of North Dakota. Um, and then worked there part-time for about three years, and um, after that, I took the uh, manager position of our fishing and ice fishing shop. So I've been doing that ever since. Very cool.
0: What's uh, what's your favorite part about working for Shields in the fishing department?
1: Uh, just being able to talk fishing every day. So being able to get paid to talk fishing, sell fishing. Uh, usually I dealing with happy customers who are doing the same thing. So it's always a blast.
0: Yeah, you can't be mad about that. And uh, you know, that's one of my favorite things about my job is, you know, on social media too, is, you know, you basically just get to talk hunting and fishing every. Yeah, can't beat it. So, how did you develop a passion for ice fishing?
1: Uh, I grew up in northern Minnesota. Um, so, I mean, you could throw a stone at a lake from our house and go to 10 different crappie lakes. And, you know, that's all we did in the winter. There's really not a whole else lot to do. I didn't play hockey or anything. So, it was uh, when you had time, you go out ice fishing just about every other weekend or before school, after school. Uh, we were always doing it. Mm-hmm.
0: Nice. And are, do you spell, s- yeah. Do you still spend a lot of time targeting crappies or have you moved to different fish? So what, what's your favorite one to target?
1: Uh, I'd say in the last five years, lake trout have uh, captured my attention the most. So anytime we get a weekend off, uh, we'll plan a trip up to Canada, um, like to get out to Fort Peck. Um, but that's, that's probably got most of my attention right now, our lake trout.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, that looks like a ton of fun. I mean, those things must seriously fight
1: yeah it's it's a super addicting fish that's for sure I mean when you when they hit you know they're on mm-hmm.
0: what uh what sort of different tactics do you have to do for lake trout versus uh versus like panfish or walleye?
1: um I would say I would relate it closest to walleye so I mean you're looking for kind of the same structure as walleye. you're just gonna put uh, just go deeper so I mean anywhere in that you know we look anywhere from that you know deep forty to anything up to like eighty feet um, you know sixtys kind of the right. Um, depth that we usually look for and you're looking for those you know shelves or uh, long points or feeding flats Um, so it's very similar I guess as far as structure goes to walleyes you're just going a little bit deeper for that.
0: Okay that makes sense so uh, you know we kind of dove right into like a a more advanced type of fish to go after so maybe we move back to a little bit of the basics so how do you uh, how do you recommend somebody gets started with fishing and ice fishing in particular? Like what are the basics that someone needs?
1: Um, I would say probably most important, um, just a, you know, a flash or whether it's, you know, a Vexilar FL8, which is going to, you know, get the job done for any, you know, every, any angler Um, that's key. So you can know your depth, you can see fish Um, and then just, you know, rod and reel and some line and a handful of tackle. Um, you can get yourself a hand auger, or else you know the latest craze are all the augers that go on a on a drill. Um, so you can get into ice fishing, you know, very affordable, um, and be very successful with it.
0: Okay, perfect. Um, so what are you doing right now to uh, to prepare for the upcoming season?
1: Uh, now is the time to get those uh, ice houses out of out of storage. Make sure no mice chew them up, uh, and get all that you know, your rods and reels out, get the old lines stripped off of them, get some fresh lines pulled up, Um, you know, go through your tackle, take some inventory, you know, get your your clothes out and stuff. So it's, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. Make sure all your batteries are good and charged and if you need to replace some batteries in your flashers or augers, um, now's the time to do it. Mm
0: -hmm. Are there certain things that you find you need to replace more often than others?
1: Um, my big thing is line. I mean, I change my line out probably three to four times a year. Um, especially if you're using a monofilament braid, not so much, but a mono, um, I just don't like the coils in it. You know, inline reels have, have, have fixed that. But even when you're reeling up and you're hitting the edge of the ice, you're getting little abrasions in your ice line. So I like to change mine out more than, you know, four or five times a year. Mm-hmm.
0: What about the people that don't fish quite as much as you do? Can you, can you get away with not changing your line or do you highly recommend changing it every season?
1: No. Well, every season mono. Yes. Um, It just over time, it just gains a lot of memory. Um, So mono, I would for sure change every season and you don't have to do it four to five times. One time a season is is plenty. Um, braid, you can get a couple years out of it as long as it's stored correctly um, I would say sunlight is your biggest um, your biggest issue when it comes to line. If it's just sitting in the sun in a windowsill or something, that's just going to make it go bad. But braid you get a couple years out of it stored right.
0: Mm-hmm. Where are you usually storing all of your stuff?
1: Um, I usually keep mine in the garage or the basement. Um, all my rods and reels are in my ice case. Um, usually I strip my line, you know, before I put it away. And I like to keep it in, you know, somewhere that's going to stay dry. Um, ice houses I like to wrap up with, you know, um, like a saran wrap type deal, shrink wrap. But somewhere that's dry and away from critters, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. How many different ice setups do you have?
1: Uh, I would say I probably have about 10 different rods, I suppose. Um I guess it's not necessary to have it, but I mean, you know, you got your lake trout stuff, your your panfish stuff, different walleye stuff, you know, dead stick rods. So, I mean, it's, it's endless. If you want to get into it, there's a rod for just about everything.
0: Mm -hmm. What if someone is looking for just kind of an all around setup? Say you have, you want to do one case and put five rods in it to be ready to tackle just about anything. Can you walk us through a, a Perfect setup for that,
1: yeah. Um, I guess what I would start with would be uh, you know, there's a lot of hard cases out there, our shields ones probably being our favorite, that ultimate case. Um, and then you know, get yourself a light to an ultra light combo for your panfish, um, and that'll you know take care of your crappies, bluegills, stuff like that, even perch. Um, then I like to do you know, a medium light one for your walleye, your average, you know, say Lake of the Woods walleye, Red Lake walleye, that's 16 to you know, 19-inches, that medium light, 28-inch, 30-inch medium light. Um, if you're going to jig some bigger baits, you know, go maybe 30 to 36-inch medium rod, you know, for your bigger ripping-style baits. And then usually I'll just have a couple, you know, dead stick rods, like bobber rods. So, you know, like the Jason Mitchell meat stick or the JT walleye snare. Um, and I'll just set those up for bobbers. And realistically, those can be used for, you know, anything crappies, walleye if it's on a bobber. It can, you know, it's not really the rod doing the work. So, mm-hmm.
0: what sort of that. reels are you putting on those different rods? Do you like to do your inline reels and and vary your sizes of of spinning reels, or is there anything else in your arsenal
1: too? Um, yeah, so like panfish stuff. Um, if I'm using real light jigs, I like the inline reels. Um, it keeps your line straight. So if you have got a real light lure on, uh, a lot of my other stuff, I'm running spinning reels. Um, if you got a heavy enough lure, I like spinning reels the best. I just the drag on them. Um, when you're fighting a bigger fish is is much better, in my opinion. Mm,
0: makes sense. Let's dive a little bit into electronics. What uh what are you running on the ice this year?
1: Uh I got a Helix 7. Uh so me personally, I like to be able I like to run the chart mode versus a, the standard flasher. Um I can just see, I personally think I can see you know fish coming off bottom a lot sooner, and just you can tell the you know, the bottom composition changes a little bit. And I like to have that past history too. Say I was looking away for a few seconds. Suspended fish came in and I look back, I could see where it came in at. So Helix 7 is what I like.
0: Okay, that makes sense. How about uh target separation? You know, seeing your lure versus the bottom. How is that on your on a helix versus something like a Vexel
1: Um, it's it's gonna be a little bit better, um, depending on what Vexel you get into. Um, you know, your FL8 probably being your, your least amount of target separation, you're, you're looking at that inch, couple inch, um, range where if you get into that new FLX, you know, 30, you're going to get really good target separation. So you're going to have real defined lines. Um, same with that Helix 7. I, I, I think I get uh, some really good target separation with that.
0: Mm-hmm. What sort of application is, is the target separation making the biggest difference?
1: I personally would say probably those real finicky crappies or perch, you know, your devil's like perch when they're in a real neutral mode. Um, that's when you know you can just get it right in front of their face, slowly pull it away from them. Um, if you have some poor target separation, you end up jigging below the fish. Um, you know, with crappies, they they feed upward, so you always want to have that lure right above them.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there any new products on the market today that you are really excited to try?
1: Yeah, probably the biggest this year I would say is that FLX 30, kind of the Cadillac of of all flashers. Um, multiple different, you know, new things for whether that new broadband transducer can run, you know, I think five different frequencies on it, um, three different zoom modes on it, um, and then there's different uh, water type modes, whether it's shallow water, deep water, or they're just they're just your average depth. So really excited with that, with that, especially putting that new lithium battery in it for extra runtime, and then it lightens it up quite a bit too. So really excited to get one of those in my hands. Mm-hmm.
0: What's the importance of having different frequencies?
1: Uh, I would say your biggest, um, for one, it's going to be if you, you're fishing extra buddy and you're getting any sort of interference. Um, then the other is just, you know, how deep of water you're fishing in. So as you change those, your, you know, your, your cone's going to get bigger. So when I go deeper, I like a little bit narrower cone, so I'm just looking straight down, um, just get those better marks, and you know, marking, you know, way off, marking all your buddy's lines too. So, um, that's probably the biggest.
0: Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on a uh, hub versus the flip over style of fish houses? Are there certain times where one is better than the other, or do you have a preference?
1: Yeah, I, I like them both, honestly. Um, if I plan to move a lot, I'm going to go with the uh, the sled house. Um, you can just leave it behind the snowmobile, four-wheeler, you know, drill your couple holes and flip it over and you're fishing. You got to move, you flip it back over and you're going. Um, if, you, if you plan on camping on a spot for the day and you got a few extra people too, or you just want some some extra room. Um, I'd go with that hub, that hub style. It's Or if you're, you know, a guy driving out in the ice with a pickup and you just want to throw that hub in there, um, they both serve their purpose. I just think it's a quicker move with a sled house, but if you're camping you want you want some room and you're going to sit on a spot for, you know, better part of the evening or day, I'd go with that hub.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes sense. When you're fishing personally, are you bringing both of them along?
1: No, I'll usually just bring one. Um you know, unless it's a long weekend, you might throw both of them in, but usually I'm going to decide what I want to do before, before I go and then I'll just bring one of them along. Mm
0: -hmm. Makes sense. Do you do a lot of fishing, uh, you know, using a snowmobile or using a, a vehicle? What's your, what's your favorite setup there?
1: I would say snowmobile. So I have a snowmobile myself. So it's sometimes you just, you get off the beaten path a little more. And then once you get that, you know, that super deep snow that might limit your, your trucks from four wheelers from getting out there. Um, that snowmobile is nice because you can just ride on top, or if you get in a big slush hole, you got the power to float over the top and get over it. So it's, I think it's just a little bit safer. Um, but I use a snowmobile personally. Okay, can you
0: walk us through how your snowmobile is set up? What sort of accessories and racks and whatnot you have
1: on it? Yep. So I I got a auger rack on the front, digger auger carrier right on the front. So that's just mounted uh, right you know right in front of the headlights there. Um, and then on the back of it, I got a big trunk on it. Otter makes one, you know, the monster box. And then uh, I fashioned mine. I just bought some summer. Summer rod holders, and I bolted those right on there, so that I can hold six rods on my snowmobile, so if I want, I can leave my case at the truck and just throw my rods right in there, and then uh, the trunk, I can fit um, my heater. Um, I'd rather keep my heater in there than rattling around the bottom of the fish house, all your tackle. I can put my flasher right in there, so anything that I know or don't want to get, you know, beat up in the sled, I can throw it right in that trunk, and, you know, any of your snacks and stuff for the day, too, I can throw in there, um, and then the nice thing is you can, you know, I mount a, I mount the Helix Seven right on the handlebars too. So pull up your lake maps and you know exactly where you're driving on that too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the really nice thing about that Helix Seven is used to, you know, it's a fishing unit, but it's also a GPS too. So you can just mount it right onto the handlebars of that snowmobile and know exactly where you're going.
1: Yeah, a lot of a lot of them all have that one Ted plug adapter now too. So most of your you know snowmobiles four wheelers have that power cord. We can just stick it into the one ten and or the twelve volt. I'm sorry, and you'd be good to go.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know a lot of people are excited about getting out for the first time uh, in early ice, but one thing that everyone really needs to consider is safety. What are what are some of your tips to make sure that you're staying safe on the ice?
1: Yeah, it's early ice is definitely uh, nothing to joke with. So um, I always say. Buddy system works great. Make sure you have a friend with you if you're going to go check the ice for the first time. Um, big ice chisel, spud bar, whatever you want to call it. Um, make sure you're at least getting two to three hits in before your before your chisel's going through or before you walk another step. Um, ice picks, I mean, the first month of season, two months, or all year for that matter. Make sure you got a set of ice picks. So if you do go through, you can get out because that ice is usually no snow on it and super slippery this time of year. So those ice picks allow you to pull yourself out um, and an ice suit too. All ice suits pretty much float for that matter. Every brand you can get one that does. So that um, helps you you stay buoyant and get you out easier. And then even a rope or a you know, long stick or something. So if you fall through, your buddy falls through, they got something to help pull you out too. So it's just, it's nothing to be playing around with early ice too. Um, another big thing would be a set of ice cleats too. So bare ice nothing nothing worse than falling when you're on bare ice so a pair of ice cleats definitely saves uh saves from a few bruises
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely i've definitely fallen more than once due to not wearing a pair of ice cleats <laughs> yeah. uh, so now that we've we've determined that the ice is safe uh what what sort of areas are you targeting early season to to get on the fish
1: Uh like crappies, um, big thing is too is just kind of your your basins. Um, like we were talking earlier. Um, go out in the boat late fall if that if that lake around has an access. And if you can find that school late fall, they're more than likely gonna be right there. Um come come first ice. So you got a good reference point to start. Um walleyes, just those, you know, those first break lines. Um uh Humps, you know, the shallower humps, and then you know, points off of shore too. So um, that's usually all you know, the first targeting for me. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you? Would you rather target crappie early or walleye early? Would what it? What's uh, your I like plan crappies there?
1: early. Yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah. That crappies, is.
0: Huh. Yeah. Okay. How do you how do you go about finding the fish? Like, do you, do you drill a ton of holes, or what's going on there?
1: Yep. So figure out the structure you're targeting, and then if you you know if you're by yourself or if you got a couple guys, give one guy the auger. Usually I'll you know drill in a straight line if you're on a basin or you know zigzag and drill till you mark them. So you know sometimes you gotta drill fifty holes to find crappies, hundred holes. So you know the augers your best friend. Drill as many holes as you can until you're tired. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. That's where that's where those new augers like the Light Flight really really come in hand.
1: Yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you have any experience with the uh, Garmin Panoptix or LiveScope? Do you use that at all?
1: Yeah I've used it I don't own it myself but I have used it uh, quite a few times and yeah if you want to find fish in a hurry that definitely cuts off some holes for you so every five feet you're drilling holes you can drill them every 50 feet 60 feet so that's a nice thing with the new technology it's you can find fish quick so you stick that down there and scan around and you can land on them with probably about a quarter amount of the holes drilled
0: that's awesome do you how do you know when you're on a school of fish with that pan optics have, have you ever had instances where like you don't know if the fish are there for sure or you just basically always know or how how does that work
1: yeah it's you know for me i would say finding a school of walleye would be the hardest thing i mean walleyes move a lot they're not just staying there but crappies a lot of times they're gonna if it's a big school they're gonna be from the bottom to 10 15 20 feet up in the water column um, and when you see those it's it's a no-brainer I mean you might see some trees or something but those are solid but with that live scope or pan optics, cool thing it's live so you can you can see them swimming around so you know for sure that it is a fish down there mm-hmm. that's very cool what yeah. sort
0: of depths are you targeting early season for panfish and then for walleyes
1: Panfish. So like a lot of your smaller lakes, you know, you want to find a lot of times, I'll start with the deepest part of the lake, your deep basin. I'll start there and I'll work my way in. So sometimes that's 30 feet, that 30 to 20 feet, usually for crappies is, it's pretty good in the basins. And then walleyes, you can get away with going a little bit shallower this time of year. You know, if it's in the middle of the day, um, you can bump up on top of that hump or point, you know, in that 12 to 15 evenings, you can, drop down where it gets deeper in that 25, 30 foot.
0: Mm-hmm. What sort of jigging cadence are you using early and does, does it change throughout the year or does it, does it change more with the current
1: weather patterns? Yeah. So early in the year is, it's always fun because usually this is when your fish are most aggressive. So real aggressive cadences, you know, popping it, bouncing off bottom, crappies, you can pull it away fast um early in the year you can get fish to chase so real aggressive tactics real aggressive lures can work Um, and then you want to let your electronics tell you what kind of move those fish are and if they're you know showing in on your graph and they're not chasing or anything you might have to slow it down and just hold it in front of their face when they come in slowly pull it away weather has a big deal with that and then even later in the year too when they start to get negative Um, so you gotta you gotta be able to read the fish on your electronics and, and let them tell you what they want.
0: Okay, can you dive a little bit more into how to read a fish's mannerisms on a on a flasher?
1: Yeah, so, you know, say a walleye comes in, um, you know, usually I like to play keep away. So when it comes in, I'll start reeling up and jigging fast up. Um, if that thing's darting, coming up really quick, um, you know that's an aggressive fish. If that thing's just kind of slowly hovering below your bait and kind of shooting back down to the bottom um, and start not hitting right away, that tells me it's super negative or if it just comes right off bottom and doesn't chase at all. Um, you're dealing with some real negative fish and maybe you want to look at uh, you know, a bottle rod or a dead stick rod to to get those real lazy, lazy fish.
0: hmm Yeah, you bring up a really good point with the dead stick there. Just the ability to to fish two and have two different type of presentations is uh yeah. can come in as a lifesaver. Do you tend to catch more fish on your jigging rod or your dead stick, or is it really just uh, depending on the day?
1: Depending on the day, but, you know, it always seems like that dead stick rod always catches more for whatever reason. It's, you know, I'm a firm believer that a lot of times your jigging bait calls them in. They look at it, and then they slide down for the easy meal. So if it's uh, you get a big minnow swimming down there and they got a lure flying around, why not take the minnow that ain't moving very far?
0: Yeah, that it makes sense. What's yeah. the what's the difference in setup between your dead stick and your and your active jigging rod?
1: Yeah, so your dead sticks your dead sticks can be a very slow action. Um, so there's a lot of technique specific dead stick rods out there, whether it's uh, you know the JT Snare, the Tuned Up Custom Dead Stick, Jason Mitchell Meat Stick. Um, you know everyone's got one, but it's it's a real slow action that gets into your into your backbone, you know, further down the rod. that allows that fish to grab it, not feel it. And then you can, you know, see that rod bending before you set the hook. Um, whereas your, you know, your chicken rods can be that very fast action rod. So right when you set the hook here, you know, you're into the, into the fish's mouth. So pretty big difference in those two rods.
0: Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense to have your dead stick rod, something that's going to be really sensitive on top and be in, you know, the fish aren't really going to know that they're grabbing onto something until it's too late and they hit the backbone. And then the, the fast action of, of your jigging rod, just to really maximize what you're doing with, with your presentation and how lures are moving and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you touch on a few of your favorite lures that you're using for early season? Or is there anything that's, uh, that's coming out this year that you're really excited to try?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Z came out with a real new small lure. Um, Real tiny one for panfish, that one looks, you know, it's a, it's a rattle style bait, but it's just super micro, so that one's really cool. Um, there's countless of those uh, ones you put glow sticks in with the newest being that Northland Fire Firebelly, um, so that, uh, you know, that glow stick illumination seems to be pretty big right now. Um, some of my, you know, tried and true favorites, you know, the Windy Rattling Flyer Spoon, Jig and Wrap, you know, even the Rip and Wrap style baits too, so... There's so many lures to to pick from. It's hard to choose just one.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get I get excited to use the jig and wraps, but I don't know if I have the right cadence or not using it the right application. Can you touch on how to how to properly jig and when to use the the jig and wrap style lure?
1: Yeah, so usually I'll use jig and wraps early ice when it's when it's a real aggressive bite. Um, and you really want to rip those things, you know, it's a fast, short rip. Um, and then, then things are just darting all around. So it's, it's not your just slow jigging style bait. It's a, it's a quick rip and you got to be on some aggressive fish to, uh, to get them to bite or it turns the super negative ones into aggressive fish. So it's, it's not one to just hang there under a rod and slowly jig it. It's some pretty good rips and they'll come up and attack it. Mm
0: -hmm. That's a pretty interesting concept uh, going after the lethargic fish with a jigging wrap because it doesn't, it doesn't seem super intuitive, but like for a walleye, they're predator fish and um, you know, you kind of have to figure out how to get them to bite.
1: Yep. Yeah. Same, same thing with summer. when you have that, you know, you drag a Lindy rig through them six times and throw a jigging wrap down and catch one instantly. So it's just something about that motion of a dying minnow or something like that, that just turns the switch in their head. Mm -hmm.
0: at the start of this podcast you talked a little bit about how lake trout fishing is becoming one of your one of your favorite new new species to target
1: can you dive
0: a little bit more into what you need for a setup and uh and and how you're really targeting these fish
1: yeah so i like uh so longer rods and that 40 inch medium medium heavy um I put a big reel on them, 3,000 size, 2,500 size. Usually I go with, you know, 3,000 size. You're not, it's going to be a heavy rod. So it's, I'd rather have more line than anything. You're fishing such deep water and those fish have so much power that I've seen it happen multiple times. A guy gets a small reel on and it, it strips them clean and there goes the fish. So big rod, big reel. Um, I don't like those super stiff rods. Everyone thinks you need a, you know, canoe paddle, to fish lake trout. But the the thing is, is, their head shakes are so aggressive that you need something that still has some good bend to it to absorb the head shakes. Um, so that, that 40 medium medium heavy, um, good backbone in it. And then, uh, I like just, you know, tube jigs, um, big swim baits, um, rattle baits. And then probably one of my favorite would be like a blade style bait, like the Sabil vibrato. Um, but probably your most popular is like a five to six inch white tube. Um, that seems to be really good too.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Personally, I've never fished lake trout before, but they felt was really intrigued me. So I have been up to Lake Winnipeg fishing though. So I have I have a couple of rods that are a fairly good Winnipeg setup for the big greenbacks. Is yep. my gear that I have for Winnipeg going to translate well into lake trout?
1: Yeah, yeah, that'll work just fine. Um, the only thing I say, is the biggest thing is – you know if you have to take a rod or a reel off your summer rod, if you got a bigger reel, you know, a bigger 3000 reel, take it off and throw it on there. Um, that's just that's the biggest thing I would drive home with Lake Trout fishing is do a bigger reel than you think, and it's, and everyone's got those on their summer rods, so just peel it off your summer rod, throw it on your, your ice rod, and you'll be good to go. Mm-hmm.
0: Makes sense. So, I have a 2000 series reel on my, on my Winnipeg setup. Do you think I can get away with that, or are you recommending that I? dive into
1: my summer fishing setup and swap that out? I Personally, I'd go bigger. I mean, I've used them in the past, but I've seen the heartbreaks of when every bit of line goes off of them. So I'm going with my 3,000. So if you got a little bit bigger one, grab it.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I can just see right now my very first lake trout experience. I just, you know, I forget about switching out my reel, and then the first lake trout just peels me clean, and I can just, I can just imagine thinking, man, that podcast with Ben he told me to get a bigger reel on there, and I didn't listen to him,
1: yeah, exactly oh
0: funny what's the what's the biggest lake trout you've got so far?
1: uh I caught one this summer out on Fort Peck that was about thirty six inches long um biggest one I was a part of was up in Canada, probably five years ago. we caught a forty three and a half that was thirty six pounds, so that was the biggest I've seen get pulled through the ice.
0: Oh, that's a monster,
1: yeah. So that yeah it was about uh, I think it took about an hour and forty five minutes I think so it was really battle. that yeah, long it, huh yeah it was a battle it was big that is crazy.
0: Would you rather target the Lakers through the ice or or
1: open water Oof. either or yeah, they fight the same i mean it's the weather's a little bit better in the summer, so maybe summer, but either or
0: mhm, cool,
1: yeah. So,
0: if you could only fish one species rest of your life, which one's it gonna be?
1: Walleye, for sure. Why do you say that? Uh it's just, it's just part of solving the puzzle with them. So there's days you go out in the lake and you want to throw all your rods away and never go back out, and then there's days you go out there and you're the hero, you catch them all. So it's it's they change so much their patterns from the spring to the fall. You know that midsummer transition. There's just so many different ways to catch them. Um, that if yeah, if that's all I could fish, it would definitely be walleyes. Mm-hmm.
0: How does uh, how does early season ice rank at uh, at timing of the year to catch walleye? Is it is it a really good time or is it kind of a slower time to
1: catch them? Early season's going to be probably the best you're going to have um, all year for walleyes. Uh, you get in that later season um they get they get pretty lethargic once you get into that february super cold once you got heavy snow on the lakes so early season is by far in my opinion the best until you hit that you know in, in north dakota you hit that you know last ice bite mm-hmm.
0: do you think it's just because they're kind of putting on the feed bag due to the dropping temperatures or why would you say that that early
1: ice yeah. is best yeah i think so yeah so yeah early ice is you know they're they're eating and you know, there's still a lot of oxygen in the water, so they're super active. So early ice is good. And then that late season stuff um, can get really good again, too, right before that spawn. You know, a lot of them are starting to head to where they're going to spawn. So they're they're hungry before that, too.
0: Mm-hmm. Kind of about the congregation at that point.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: What is your most memorable trip on the ice? Do you have one?
1: Yeah, so we, we used to take wall tents out in Canada lake trout fishing, we'd camp on an island in a wall tent, so we'd snowmobile out about 16 miles, set up a wall tent, sleep in a wall tent for a week. Um, The one year, probably the one that's the most memorable is probably the the worst, turned into a thunderstorm, melted all the snow on the lake, had about a foot of standing water in our tent and on the lake. And then that rain turned into a 60 mile an hour blizzard whiteout when we woke up in the morning. Trying to pack up in that, and it was a, it was a nightmare. There was about an inch of ice on in that water, and we broke through the whole way, so it was it was not fun.
0: Oh man, that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Um, it, do you have any more of the lighter memories? You know, something that's something that didn't have any super difficulties.
1: Yeah, usually I mean Red Lake early ice Red Lake is always a blast. I mean you get that you know fifty to hundred fish days. We used to go up, uh, you know, for Almost four or five days after Christmas every year when I was in college high school, and some of the best walleye fishing you can have early ice is that early red lake bite. so that's always uh those ones always stick in my head when it's you know fishing six feet of water and it's just lights out fishing, mhm,
0: yeah, that can be a lot of fun and and yeah i've I've fished Red Lake a few times early ice too, and you know there there are times where you miss, but uh generally you can you can really get some pretty good fishing up there,
1: yeah, yeah it's usually pretty good. Yeah.
0: Do you have any trips planned in your in your schedule for early season?
1: Um, I'm sure I'll go to Red once or twice. I'll make her out to Devils, I suppose, a few times. Um, usually, I like to get home, you know, that northern Minnesota area and get on some of those crappie lakes. You got a four wheeler into stuff like that. So, those are usually on the docket right away.
0: Very cool. If you're following social media, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram. You're going to be seeing a pretty good amount of Ben uh, doing some doing some ice tips. We actually shot a lot of that stuff in early March. Uh, can you give us your thoughts on on how things went that day and and what we can expect to see for content in the future? Yeah, that uh,
1: that was a pretty pretty special day. There was uh, I mean endless amounts of bluegills, and uh, we stumbled in some pretty big crappies. I think uh, one of the guys what cut a 15 incher. Um so yeah it was uh it was a heck of a day on the ice and bluegill after bluegill and and then we found some of them crappies later in the evening so it was it was a good bite.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Got quite a few pretty solid pictures from that and videos.
1: Yeah, so absolutely.
0: Can you touch on a couple of the of the videos the quick hitters that uh that we're going to be talking about?
1: Yeah, so uh, we did a couple on like uh you know one two punch for for rods as far as while well, you're fishing crappies or or walleyes, you know, two tactics that you want to have have handy. Um, covered the uh, Markham Lithium shuttle, um, just the versa, the versatility of it, uh, different things you can do with it. Um, so that that'll be a good one there. Um, you know, with eel pout growing, we did a we did a few um, tips on on eel pout fishing. That's just becoming uh, that's blowing up come come March during the spawn too. So um, look out for those videos. Uh, I think they'll be pretty helpful for you.
0: Perfect. All right, Ben. Well, it was uh, it was a pleasure talking with you. I had a lot of great information, some good uh, strategy on how to get yourself prepared for uh, for early ice.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Any, any more questions? Uh, just swing into the store, and one of the guys will definitely get you taken care of.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Feel free to reach out to any of our experts in the store, and uh, you're also on Instagram too, aren't you, Ben?
1: Yep, yep. I'm on Instagram. I don't post a ton, but I, I definitely do when we get into some good fish. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: you got a pretty interesting
1: handle too, don't you? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good one. <laughs> yeah, the be, uh, notorious Ben. Yeah, there you go. So
0: <laughs> perfect. All right. Well, thank you for your time and uh, and all your information.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. Yeah. You too.
0: Bye. You just heard our conversation with Ben Olson of the Grand Fork Shields on tips to prepare for the ice fishing season. If you're like us here at Shields, you are checking that extended forecast every day to see when lakes are going to start locking up. But please practice safety and bring those ice picks in a spud bar out there with you. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us in the comments of this podcast, on social media at Shields Outdoors Facebook and Instagram, or stop by one of your local stores. Their ice fishing shops are prepped and ready with everything you need for the upcoming season, and the experts are itching to talk about ice fishing. We want to thank you for listening today, and don't forget to give us a follow on the listening platform you chose today. Best of luck out there this upcoming ice season, and see you next time.